gentlemen welcome back to stories out of time and space i'm your regular host scott weatherly and as usual i'm joined by julian darius julian how are you doing uh well i died of the pandemic and i have been replaced by a hologram so i hope you don't notice a difference how are you excellent i'm not too bad i'm uh much like yourself i'm locked down in um and unfortunately i I don't have a cat or a hologram to tell me i've just got uh, a slightly sort of cabin fever suffering family um but we're all getting through it, I think. Uh, and hopefully for listening to this, you can enjoy the podcast. Um, we're we're going to be sort of, I think this is going to be an interesting one. This is sort of the first tentative steps, um, for, for you at least, actually, into Uncharted Red Dwarf, isn't it? This is, we've been doing, up until now, we've done obviously series one through eight, the BBC years. We've done the BBC years, the origin now we're going into UK TV, uh, Channel Dave. So, you, yeah, you you haven't actually... I don't know if you've, seen, you've had a chance to watch it yet, but you hadn't seen Series 11 at, before we started recording this, had you? No, I had not. Um, mm-hmm. And for me, the, I don't know when I really started picking up Red Dwarf. I mean, it must have been before the BBC had concluded its run. Mm. Um, mm. You know, at least by a few series... But I had no impression of that. I had no idea how many episodes there were, you know, how many how many series. Uh, you know, I would not even at that time have understood the difference between, you know, a series and a season that we have over mm-hmm. here. Um, and so, you know, I was sort of in a bubble. And by the time it came back on Dave, I was reading all the media accounts of Red Dwarf coming back and thinking, you know, this makes a big difference in my life. This means something to me. I don't know anyone who knows <laughs> what this is. You know? <laughs> yeah, it was it was interesting. I remember um, Series Eight um, finished in nineteen ninety nine, um, and obviously, as we said, it ends with a cliffhanger. Um, and it was ten years before it came back. Um, ten years, but I remember sort of before that. There had been talk between sort of 1999 and, and uh, 2009 of all kinds of things. I, I don't know when the, the I don't know exactly when the rights moved over to to UK TV to, to Dave, but there was talk of like yeah the BBC were going to do something in the early 2000s. Then there was this constant talk of what they referred to as the Red Dwarf movie. Right. Um, so Rob Grant and Doug Nader were sort of like you know, they they sort of sort of stopped working together. So. Um, there was this notion of sort of Doug Nelly was going to carry on and do the, the Red Dwarf film. It was going to be the, the you know the, the the ongoing crew, but they were going to have um, like a a feature film which was standalone, but would would fit within the continuity. Um, the rumor is, and apparently, there's, you know, I've, I've looked into it that there are 
scripts of what that could have been uh, kicking around. Um, but, you know, obviously never came to anything. Um, and it was confirmed that when we get back, what we get in 2009, Back to Earth was not uh, what they intended to do as the movie uh, and was actually its own thing when they got to UK TV. Um, but yeah, but 10 years is a long time. Like That's usually the, sort of like the death knell, isn't it, of a, of a show, if it's sort of... Uh, I mean, less so these days, but, um, you know, if you hadn't had a show on TV for 10 years, and it's a bit like, oh, well, it's done. You sort of move on. Mm-hmm. Um, I, mean, I think we all thought that it was done. Um, hmm. You know, these days it'd be more likely to come back in a reboot than it would just coming back after 10 years. Yeah, yeah. Um, although this is one of those shows, I think if they rebooted uh, and recast, I think there would be sort of... Um, certain areas, certain parts of fandom, but I think would riot. Um, well, I yeah, think we so- saw it with the American show, uh, the American version that uh, uh, Red Dwarf is so wedded to those specific actors. Uh, mm. I, I think it's not as easy to reboot as you know Star Trek or, or something like that. No, no, I think you're right. I think because maybe part of it, but partly because of the scale as well, because it's quite small and quite personal. Like you know, we've seen those characters grow somewhat. Um, I think it would be incredibly difficult to sort of recast and, and restart. Um, but yeah, in two thousand nine, we get back to Earth, a three sort of episode um, special miniseries, and again, there was an inter- there was a, a notion that this could be it. This could be sort of like a final uh, hurrah. For, for the crew um, and that's sort of how it was, it was tentatively badged um, at the time sort of the, you know it was never sort of definitively said but it was there that you know this could be it you know one last sort of uh, chucker around sort of uh, the cargo base as it were um, and I think you sort of alluded to it the fact that like you know series eight had ended on a cliffhanger um, quite a dramatic one it's still you know, Kachansky was still part of the crew. Uh, the Red Dwarf crew themselves had all, all been returned, but were scattering off in escape pods and, and shuttles. Uh, and Rimmer was left on this world. Uh, you know, they'd all, the others had escaped into the Mirror Universe. And uh, Lis- Rimmer was left in this world uh, and escaped death. Um, so it was. It's, we st- when you start back to Earth, and it's just basically back to the status quo of. Mm-hmm. Sort of series six, really. Um, it's yeah. interesting. Um, I had a little bit of a look into it, you know, and there's no comment about no, you know, what happened between eight and back to earth. And there's obviously people have said, Oh, in my in my head this happened and that happened, and there's some stuff alluded to later on. But um, you know, there's nothing being given. But you you sort of suggested that uh, it was almost a bit of a you know, um, two fingers up to the BBC, really, uh, because of funding issues and some other stuff. Is that what you'd heard? Um, no, what, 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 I, what I had heard was that, um, you know, partly because of the desire to make a movie, that, you know, sort of, uh, you know, the creator wanted... Um, you know, I, I guess at this point it's Grant, um, you know, wanted to sort of like go big and, mm. you know, and it was hard convincing the BBC to really, 
you know, invest in that big of a project, um, you know, but, um, you know, there, there was this kind of like attitude, you know, from what I read at the BBC that sort of, they didn't know what to do with Red Dwarf, that they sort of like felt a little ashamed and guilty that it was making money, that it was, you know, profitable. And, you know, if it's old school Doctor Who, where, you know, it turned on for 20 some years, and, you know, you can just sort of do it low budget, that's fine. But, you know, it would have been hard to get them to say, oh, wow, you know what, this is this is pretty commercial, we want to throw a bunch of money at that. And that was essentially mm. what, uh, what Grant wanted. I mean, that's what I've read. Um, am I, what have you read? Am I utterly incorrect? No, very similar. Yeah. So, no, no, it sort of comes down to this thing of, and I think over those years, I think sort of that sort of uh, uh, distancing and stuff became, you know, gets grown and blown out of proportion and some other bits and pieces. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's interesting that sort of, I think some, potentially some bridges had been burnt with the BBC, you know, um, over this period, um, you know, and stuff. But I, you know, I, I think back to Earth. I mean, it gets some. I'll ask you. I'll ask your opinion now, really. But looking into this, this mini series gets. Um, I mean, it's the lowest scoring of the series. Wow. Um, to date. From um, fans. On the yeah. Or at least on IMDb, and a couple. So I looked on an IMDb. It's sort of the lowest rating on there, and it does still get a little bit of a shilling from from fans and stuff that sort of seem to think, you know, it's not good. Um, I'm not so sure. But initially, what what are your thoughts on it overall as a sort of as the miniseries? Well, I agree. I mean, I I think that it that sounds like it's criminally underrated. Um, I I think that. I am struck by, especially in Back to Earth, but I think to a lesser degree in 1011, how um, tight the scripting is, especially mm. in Back to Earth. I mean, you know, I, I think part one is basically immaculate. Um, you know, sort of part two, part three, I mean, we can sort of like talk about how it ends and and whether it goes off the rails or really comes together at the end. But, you know, I, I have a very weird reaction to, to Back to Earth and to a lesser degree to 10 and 11 that I sort of feel my first impression of uh, Back to Earth was sort of like, this is the red dwarf that I always wanted. Mm. Very, uh, you know, the, the budget is there. The CG has advanced so much. You know, you're seeing like CG scudders. It looks so much better. Um you know, uh, Lister's morning Kachansky and it's like, Oh, they're, they're doing this. There's some emotional weight to it. Uh, you know, the, I mean, I think the dialogue is, is fantastic. It has no laugh track, which kind of, uh, feels weird. Right. Mm. But, um, but you know, I sort of feel like, okay, this is, I don't know what's wrong with it, but I feel as if it's just a little off and, and I don't know why. I mean, I know that like the actors look a little older, um, but I think, you know, it, it, it is as funny as most of the old stuff. It's fast. It's it's very well done. The the budget's there. Um, I you know, I don't know what's you know, what is written better than Back to Earth One. Um, mm. I mean, it's just really tight. 
Um, but, you know, and, and I, at the time I thought, well, this is just because it's been 10 years, right? I, mm. it's just hard to recapture that magic. And, and maybe that old stuff wasn't as good as I remember, or just, you know, doesn't quite have that same mind bending magic that I remember. Um, but I don't know what's wrong with it. I don't know, you know, and I don't feel like anything really is. I think, I think one is amazing and, and overall it's, it's good. Um, I don't know. I'm sort of babbling. What do, what do you think? No, no, I, I agree. It's, it's, it's a weird one of um, that. You're right. That, that first episode in particular, um, you know, or part one, as you say, is it has, it has everything going for it. It's all right. You know, it's sort of, um, I think the cast are good. I think some of the jokes are really good. Um, you know, it's sort of, it, it's working. It's back to that sort of status quo. Um, I do, I do miss the expansion that they were going. Yeah, you know, there's a missed opportunity, but that's sort of by the by. Um, no, the first episode in particular works. Um, you know, you're getting to see more of the ship, and as you say, the ship looks better. Uh, they've put a bit more money into it, so you know, you say you, you, uh, it feels bigger. They got it's more expansive. It, but you're right. There's just something. It's not that it feels desperate. That's the wrong word. It's just it feels um, slightly out of step with what's gone before. And again, I don't know if it's because you know is, is the chemistry slightly off. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure, but you're right. It, it's it's not. It's, it's better than seven, and it's better than some bits of eight. You know, it's it's really you know. Oh yeah. Getting to some of the bits and pieces of it, and again, I like. There are moments in this, like you know, like I say, little touches again um, that I, I really like. Uh, that like when um, when Dave goes to see um, Kachansky's, you know, the the memorial sort of thing they've got for Kachansky. Like you know, he doesn't really change his trousers, but he puts on like a tuxedo suit jacket and shirt and sort of like yeah. You know, so he's making a bit of an effort, um, which means it's you know for to him that's a big deal. Like he's taking it serious. Um, I like that kind of thing, and the fact that like, you know they've sent uh, Crichton's gone off on a holiday around the ship, and and oh yeah, it, like that's quite good. Like you know, there's little bits in this that are good. I think it's funny, and, you know. Um, it, it again, it answers things like you know they've got a mile deep water tank on the ship, um, and so you know there's things like that. It's 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 starting well, if I'm honest. I think the first episode is starting well. Um, mm-hmm. And again, even the sort of things, the, the little things, like it knows it knows it's doing things and will try and sort of, not so much distract you, but will basically sort of go, we know what we're doing, don't you know, let's just move on. So as part of it, um, a new hologram is introduced. Um, a, is it Katarina? Um, yeah, Katarina. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And straight away, like <clears throat> you know, it, this is after they've um, they find that there's a squid-like creature in the water tank, and there's a whole sort of piece there which I like. Um, but we, even when she's introduced, and we'll, we'll circle circle around back to what happens. But Rimmer actually says, like, doesn't can't Red Dwarf only support one hologram? What are you doing here? And it's mm-hmm. almost like she's like, oh, don't worry about that. Does it, you know, there are reasons why, and they just move on. Um, yeah. But at least they're letting you know they're acknowledging that. Like we're not forgetting that, but you know, um, 
so yeah, I, I think some of it's really good. Oh, I agree, and I, and I think that I mean going back to like the the very beginning, I really you know like I have in my notes sort of like it's so amazing to see them back, and I mm. still feel that, and I love that like you were talking about you know Crichton on holiday. He's on holiday in the broom closet and he's sent a postcard yeah. from the book. And, you know, it's very clever. And and I love that it sort of like recenters you in, uh, you know, Rimmer and Lister. That you get mm. that kind of, it feels very season one, although they're older. Um, and then it sort of like reintroduces Crichton. And then it reintroduces Kat. Um, mm. And then sets them off on on this adventure. And then when, uh, you know, this Russian hologram shows up, uh, you know, you're right. I mean, it, it, it does that kind of like wink of like, hey, we know this, um, which I think is, you know, is smart. It's good. And I do feel like, oh, wow, this is the old red dwarf that's willing to mm. sort of like upend uh, the entire status quo on a whim. And mm. all of a sudden, like she outranks everybody on the ship and everything has changed. And I think this is really good. On the flip side, I think like that, you know, the squid attack in the sort of like diving bell, it's incredibly, it's well scripted. I think, you know, the CG is fine. Um, and, you know, it, I love Rimmer um, saying, you know, like, uh, you know, I'm not safe. You know, you think I'm safe. I'm not safe from watching you die. You only think of yourself, don't you? I, mean, I love his reaction. But there's something about his sort of like not paying attention and, and the acting there and how disconnected that that he's playing that without a live audience, without the other characters in the room. And, and there are moments like that that feel incredibly well polished, but at the same time, just a little off. And I, and I do sometimes mm. wonder if maybe some of what are, we react to in Red Dwarf is that we like the kind of like hard scrabble uh, you know, low budget sort of Red Dwarf. And the more high budget it becomes, it can be incredibly well scripted. You know, it, it can be really well done, but it, there's something about Red Dwarf that just kind of resists polish. Yes. I, I agree. <clears throat> I, can, I know what you mean. And that, I mean, that scene, like you say, the diving bell, when they get attacked by um, the, the squid creature, like, you know, it's, it's good. It's got some, you know, good moments. It's quite entertaining. But again, the the rimmer sort of being distracted um by listening to some sort of like you know hammond organ music or whatever it is sort of like some of his other odd musical tastes to me it, whilst funny because you sort of see what's going on in the monitors behind him whilst he's sort of like you know um having a little bit of a dance or a sort of a you know whatever shuffle um it sort of feels slightly out of character mm-hmm. you know what i mean it's sort of um to me, Rimmer would be sort of like, you know, that would be a dereliction of duty. That's the kind of thing maybe, um, you know, mm-hmm. Lister would, would probably react quicker, but could, would probably more like to be distracted. But to, for Rimmer to be like that, it, it feels, you know, if in the moment in the joke, it's fine. But to me, it feels a little bit off kilter. I'm like, well, I, don't, I can't believe he would do that because that's not what an officer would do. That's not what, you know, that sort of, it feels like he would... Uh, there would be other ways of doing this without introducing that sort of, um, you know, the, the, what to me feels out of character. 
Yeah, I think that's a very good point. I think you're completely right. And I think that I sort of perceived that without being able to put it into words. Um, you know, even his sort of, like, we know he's a coward and a git, but it's like they've forgotten the way in which he's a coward and a git, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's almost like they... they, they to me, it happens a couple of times throughout this series, or this miniseries, is they've thought of a joke or they've thought of a moment and gone... That's really funny. Or like, you know, in the moment, mm-hmm. that makes them laugh. But they don't really like. Previously, I get the feeling that, <clears throat> and again, I think this is because Doug Naylor's the sole writer on this. And this is no na- mm. no, no comment on Doug Naylor because I think his writing is absolutely great. But maybe that having that Rob Grant as the the sort of double edged Ed by sort of as the director, that sort of that, that grouping and stuff, you'd have this thing of saying like, yeah, that that works or that's funny but let's adjust this or change it to this character or do this instead because that's sort of what they would do. And it sort of feels a little bit like they haven't quite done that with this show. Yeah, yeah, quite possibly. Um, But again, you know, it's that kind of thing where you think, you know, okay, so, right, I mean, what is my objection to this? Like, it's well done. You know, Mm. maybe the timing is a little off. Maybe it's a little out of character, but it's still good, right? Oh, yeah, I'm enjoying it. First episode in, I'm, I'm very much enjoying it. Um, again, like you said, some of the humor is good. I, I especially, like I said, love the confrontation when they do get out of the water and, you know, Rimmer, um, Liss is having a go at Rimmer and he's like, you know, you, you don't know what it's like. I I would have had to have lived with those images of you dying in terrible, terrible agony. Um, yeah. And that's, you know, that feels on point. That feels... Rimmer, that feel in, in Lister, that relationship where you say there's moments of brilliance and flashes of it, and you're like, you know, you just, it's just there within reach. Um, and again, introducing uh, Katarina and stuff, like, I like that. It sort of, again, sort of like throws out the dynamic, it makes things a bit interesting. Um, I like, again, that Rimmer sort of like he's determined to dig up dirt on her, um, just as whether it's to be blackmail or to make a, you know, to do some, pull something on her. Um, it's, it's all good. Like, you know, she, and she, is basically she's a exposition piece. She's there basically to push the, the plot forward, and her her objective, her mission is now whatever you know. She's incredibly intelligent. She's incredibly sort of uh, gifted. Is to use whatever technology she she has to get Dave back to Earth in any way. Right. Um, yeah, and and to uh, perpetuate the human race because he's the yeah. last human alive. Yeah. And and so you know, I, I like this concept that they come up with. It's sort of like, well, you know, we're three million years into deep space, but we can actually create this thing that could actually take you to um, another reality. Uh, and so that, you know, it's a bit of a twist on sort of like, I like the fact that you know, um, you should. The thing is, I mean, you know, if you if you listen to this, you've seen it, so you you know, it's going to be no spoilers when we reveal the ending. But everything in this first, everything from the title to some of the stuff they talk about in the episode should give away what the twist is. Right. Um, and I, I, I didn't get it the first time. I remember watching this the very first time and sort of like, you know, just letting it sort of pass over me and, and not getting it. But watching this time, I'm like, okay, it's called Back to Reality. Uh, sorry, Back to Earth, not Back to Reality. Right. Um, well, that would be a better title because, you know, it's not Earth that they go back to. It's mm. our reality. Um, yeah. and, and I think when, when I first read that 
the movie or the the three episode mini, uh, you know, I think te- like they said it was four episodes, but then like the fourth was the making of documentary. Um, the uh, when they announced it was back to Earth, I thought, oh, well, they're going to have Red Dwarf finally get back to Earth somehow. Mm. No, it's it's back to reality. It's back to you know the real Earth. It's it's a sort of like sci-fi cliche of they meet the real world although although yeah. i think done well oh yeah yeah I, I agree i mean but again that notion of you know it's called there was because obviously you know series five had the episode back to reality um this is called back to earth um it does have this whole thing you know you you have a um a squid-like creature hidden in the water um and then you you have a reality skip. Like this should very much tell you that I'll say it now that the, 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 it should be blatantly bloody obvious, really, that the actual result of all this is is the despair squid, or as they refer to it, mm-hmm. the joy squid. Um, but yeah, it, I missed that completely the first time. Um, but yeah, I, again, I think the first episode is very good. But we, the first episode ends with them going through a reality portal and being sucked into what is supposed to be our reality. Um, and it sort of goes from there, really. So, what what are your thoughts beyond sit episode one then? Um, well, I mean, I think that the initial idea of them in our reality works very well. Um, mm. You know, I I think you know right away, like you know, Cat's the only one who isn't shot through. He lands on his feet. You know, yeah. there are little things like that that's very clever. Um, you know, it, it's the sort of um, you know, realizing you're a fictional character. Um, you know, the the sort of like joking about uh, series 10 in which Kachansky mm. died, you know, and all this stuff is is sort of clever. Um, one of the funniest bits is Lister talking about, you know, they didn't have any toilet paper in the bathroom. <laughs> They're so yeah. you know, in, in <laughs> earlier state, you know. And then I saw this air machine. Uh, you know, yeah. so, oh, so I'm smart. I put it together. And he, so he's been jumping up and down, you know, airing out his bum, uh, you know, in the bathroom. And then he says, you know, people here are really rude. You know, you yeah. start up a conversation with them and they don't even talk back to you. you know? <laughs> I mean, there's some great stuff here. I mean, I, I think by the end, it sort of loses me. I mean, there's a lot of sort of like going to the the president of the Red Dwarf fan club and, you know, mm. going here, going there, going to meet Charles, the actor, you know. I mean, all of this is sort of satisfying, going to meet the creator. I think where it gets lost for me is all of the um, Blade Runner references. Um, mm. And it just gets, it, and it's still of fun to see, but it's kind of like, Oh, you know, I see what you're doing here as opposed to, does this really make sense? Is that, you know, and ultimately it doesn't matter because it's just a joy squid hallucination, right? But still, you know, it, it just seems strange that you get lost in, you know, Red Dwarf doing Blade Runner, you know? Doesn't that seem yeah bizarre? It's, it, 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 I, I totally agree. I mean, I think that the the middle episode to me has got some real high points and some other some other bits that are a bit um, not so good. Um, I, I do like to say that, you know the bits when they get blasted into our reality is quite good. And the, the cat sort of just comes through and lands on his feet. Um, 
is very good. I like the fact that they find they find Red Dwarf back to Earth on you know coming soon. And he's sort of looking at the discs as well, the DVDs. He's like, what are these? And Cry- the Crichton exposition of like, well, they, millions of these would get lost every year. So they, 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 have, you know, they push forward to the better technologies. Oh yeah, video cassettes can't lose those. Um, so you know, obviously, sort of harking back to the fact that like, they had videos and stuff in the early seasons, right? Um, and so I like the, all these little bits. And then, like you say, they go to. I mean, there's even a bit that's. that's surprisingly touching like you know they end up getting on the bus mm. um and uh rimmer's sort of approached by these two kids and it's all grounded it's all sort of feels like it's in reality and it, like you know two kids were to see the actor craig charles like, you know young kids they might well think it's actually lister uh rather than craig charles obviously right. this is lister but the whole thing about him you know losing kachansky and the kid says well you know my dad's figured it out you know kachansky's not dead uh, Crichton just told you she was, and all this other stuff, and it sort of gives him this new sort of meaning. But at the moment, which is, um, he actually says, the kid says to him, um, you know, yeah, you are a bit of a bomb, you are a bit of a um, <laughs> a scumbag, basically. You know, you are sort of like you know, curry obsessed, but you, you know, sometimes, um, you know, sometimes you're brave, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes you're right, and I, like. It's sort of it's it's a nice scene to sort of validate that character because I think this is very Lister driven, um, mm-hmm. and it's quite nice to sort of as a as a sort of as we've actually said you know as we've gone back like yeah you probably wouldn't want to spend a great deal of time with him but you know what when the when your chips are down like you know he'll stand by you like he will do the right thing so um, it's quite nice in a weird way for that character to be given that validation by some fans. Um, yeah, so I, I kind of I like all that. Mm, it is. It's surprisingly touching, like you know. And then they go to the comic shop or the sort of like the sci-fi shop, and I'm like, oh, this is so. This this is so sort of like Simpsons comic book guy. Um, yeah, yeah. And so cliched that I'm just like it. It almost annoys me. <laughs> you know, um, I'm like, you know, you you're doing so well, and then you get something like this, which is so stereotypical and so sort of like. I mean, it's 2009, so you know we've come a long way since then, but. It just feels very almost insulting to the fan base that they're trying to. This is, the, and I think that might be why people have sort of gone against it. Is this sort of thing of like, um, you know, th- this bit and this whole thing about the president of the uh, uh, the Red Dwarf fan club. Like to, to me, this bit feels a little bit derogatory and a little bit. Mm, mm-hmm. I don't know. It just feel I feel uncomfortable with it. Uh, and so yeah, it's. Uh, it's this bit. It's this is the bit where it starts to sort of fall apart a little bit to, to me. Um, oh, I agree. I'm like, oh, exactly. I'm like, yeah, yeah, and I'm like, oh, okay, I see what you're doing, but it doesn't quite work. Um, and again, I, I, you know, I like the next bit. They steal the car. It's been turned into a little mini. They've got a teeny car, but it's been turned into Starbug, and they call it Carbug. You know, there's little things like that. Um, again, I think yeah, make me chuckle. Um, and again, like having weirdly again, like this in series episode three, when they go to the set of Coronation Street, um, mm-hmm. the the soap opera which Craig Charles was working on at the time, um, and you see him, you know, you see the crew and they go into the shop and uh, the, all that that entire section there is is brilliant to me. Uh, I really enjoy it first because my parents used to watch soaps when I was a kid, so I know. Coronation Street. It's sort of like it's a it's a it's a national institution over over here. 
Um, so it, you know, it, it, it's quite. I like it. They go, they go into the shop and they do the uh, <laughs> the terrible sort of northern accents. Um, <laughs> yeah. And stuff like it. That cheers, muchly chuck, and they sort of carry on and all this. Stuff. It's, it's really good. Um, so I enjoy all that. And then this whole thing of you know, they're willing to poke at the actors as well because um, it was it's well documented that uh, Craig Charles went through a rough patch. You mm. know, he did. He had sort of sort of alcohol and, and drug uh, substance uh, abuse issues. He spent some time in prison. Uh, he was there was an alleged rape and all this other stuff. So that he there was, there was, he had a rough time of it, sort of um, at one point. And you know they're happy to sort of like at least you know give you that acknowledgement of that um, and stuff. And but once that once that ends, once the coronation bit street bit ends, to me like the whole thing just goes takes like a hard left turn. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> Um, when it was grounded and it was supposed to be in our reality, I was on board uh, for the last sort of third of, or the last sort of half the, the last episode. I'm, I sort of start to, I, I disengage um, because it feels like a different story. Like it's a completely different concept, isn't it? It's, it's, it's a bizarre. I don't know. Well, it goes Blade Runner. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah I, I agree. I agree with most of this. I mean, I, I like the, the kids, I like the fan theory, right? I mean, there's a mm. lot of kind of like metafictional elements here that do work. And I think that those kind of metafictional elements can be fun or they can be sort of groan inducing and sort of too clever by half. Mm. These, I think, mostly work. I mean, the idea that there's that one of the reasons why those kids are so touching is because to me is because they've seen him in private. They've seen what mm. we've seen. Uh, they know him better than anyone in his life probably will ever know him. Um, they've seen him alone with himself. Um, and I love that, you know, they have a fan theory about his life, you know. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and you're left to kind of fill in these hypothetical seasons that don't exist. And, you know, the whole thing would later be renumbered. So there actually would be a season 10. Um, <laughs> even in the end of uh, episode two, you meet the nose guy and it's the nose guy who directs them to Coronation Street and the nose guy is straight out of Blade Runner. You know, mm. I only I just do the noses, um, you know. And so, I mean, for me now, for me as a Yank, uh, I don't know anything about Coronation Street. So the only thing I, yeah. I don't to me, it's just, oh. You're somewhere in London, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and so the only reason I know that at all is because I watch the making of thing, right? Yeah. But, you know, but and and then that confuses me because I think, well, if the audience recognizes it as, oh, they're in another show, is the mm. idea that they're in reality, but reality has Coronation Street and has those same characters? You see what I'm saying? And you know, it, I don't yeah, know. But- it, to me, it's supposed to be up until this is the thing that sort of again, it's like it's a game of two halves, isn't it? and this is the problem I think. Again, going back to the thing I've said before, of I've got this great idea, <laughs> and there's no one there to say no. Um, uh, yeah. I've got this idea, and I think the whole bit with Coronation Street, like because Coronation I said, is a TV show, I could turn on. Um, it's on ITV uh, in in the UK, um, and it's on. 
I could find it. I could, you know, I could go back and watch the episodes with Craig Charles playing his character on there. So that bit of them going onto the studio, and you can, you can actually go onto a tour, and you can actually sometimes see it being filmed and all this other stuff. So, um, that that bit all feels like, oh, okay, they're in our reality. You know, they are in our existence. But like you say, even the bit in the comic shop, sort of like they keep it grounded. Mm-hmm. But then the moment when they start throwing in like the um, the nose guy and stuff. I'm just like you say. I'm like, it just feels really incongruous. Like it doesn't mm-hmm. gel, and I'm like, okay, I'm not sure what you're trying, if you choose one or the other. Well, um, where it really goes off the rails. I mean, you know, like you have to believe that like the nose guy has been doing noses for TV productions, right? Mm. Um, okay. I mean, that's hypothetically possible. He's clearly riffing on Blade Runner, but I mean, yeah. okay. But, you know, for me, where it just really goes off the rails as far as this being reality is you get a shot of London with a giant ziggurat yeah. from Blade Runner. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm not British, but I know that's not there. Yeah, uh, that's it. You know, and, and then, you know, they meet this eccentric creator and there are little rimmers running around. And it's like, OK, this is not this is not uh, no. and, and it's him with the typewriter and everything. But yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, it's again where they go for the jokes, but the jokes don't sort of serve the story, or they don't. Like again, I would have been better if they, if they'd have just kept this grounded and to take away all the Blade Runner references and stuff. Forget all that, and they actually went and met Doug Naylor in a in a. Mm-hmm. If anything, mm-hmm. if they'd have gone the other way instead of having this opulent building with you know with all this other stuff going on. And they went back, and it was basically a crappy office somewhere. And they're like, "Yeah, this is where you were born. Like, this is where you're created from. This crappy sort of cupboard uh, right. with a typewriter and stuff like that." To me, would have been like that would be more acceptable and more more meaningful almost than this whole nonsense of the creator and the sort of like, you know the um, um, the magical typewriter stuff. It just, it just, yeah, that gets irritating. Um. But the other thing as well, because the, the little rimmers are obviously sort of like a nice little nod to, weirdly, like a nice little nod to, to the Series 7 episode Blue. You know, they look like that yeah. sort of, as, as well as the Blade Runner, um, you know, when the, when you meet, uh, oh, I forget his name, the character's name. But yeah, you know, the one who's got the little robots. Um, mm-hmm. The other thing I'll say, though, is, you know, when you see that sort of the cityscape of London and it's got the Tyrell building sort of sat in the middle of it, um. I know they were going for Blade Runner, and that's obvious. But because it's a London scape with that in the middle of it, <laughs> weirdly, weirdly, Miracle Man came to mind. Yes, yes, right. Um, and that's where I was like, and that's where. But if I'm, if the thing is, if my mind is then wandering and thinking of these other things completely unrelated, then I'm not engaged with the show. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think, like this final, this finale. I, I sort of sort of lose interest, if I'm honest. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it, it seems to feel as if, well, we're just going to do this. This is what we find interesting. Um, mm. So, you know, you get these homages, these long homages to Blade Runner, where, you know, the creator talks about killing them, you know, and he rather incoherently says that uh, Blade Runner inspired your creation and your death. Really, I mean, Blade Runner is a, a central inspiration yeah, yeah. for Red Dwarf. I don't remember yeah. anything of that first episode, you know. 
So it being inspired by Blade Runner. I mean, I'm okay with the typewriter. I'm okay with this, but yeah, I mean, all the Blade Runner stuff seems grafted on. And I, I think of Miracle Man too. I, you know, I feel oddly taken out of it. And, and then there are these deeper questions of, you know, of like, for example, even when they're in the video store um, or the, the TV store, well, our reality doesn't have a season 10. They're not exactly yeah. in our reality, are they? But then they, it's sort of like, that's close enough. And then you're mm. in Coronation Street and, and then you're in Blade Runner and... It's not just that, but, you know, cats leaving these these origami, which is cool when it turns out to be a squid. And But why is he doing this compulsively? He's never noticed this before. Um, you know, although it's perfectly obvious to the to the viewer. Um, yeah. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it just feels a bit. Again, like this came out of a production meeting and someone said, oh, Blade Runner, we can do this, this and this. It will look really cool. Um, and I'm still convinced that it comes down to the scene where they get shot, you know, um, mm-hmm. where in the film, obviously Deckard, you know, kills the uh, stripper replicant or the snake dancing replicant and she falls through the glass plate. I- I'm almost convinced that that is, you know, that image was in his head way before he was putting the rest of this sort of thing together. And it sort of seems to center around it. Mm-hmm. it you know, it's as a, as a sort of, um, as an image for the show, I'm like, yeah, it's interesting, but again, it doesn't serve this plot like at all. This notion of finding out that you are a fictional character and having to deal with that, um, you know, it, again, like this is again a bit of a sci-fi cliche. It's been done before, you know, sort of, um, you know, Grant Morrison's touched on this. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think other TV shows have always, you know, there's others have dabbled with this. Mm-hmm. But the, the notion of finding out you're a fictional character, and then to have, like I said, so that, that that's why that interaction sort of like with with the kids on the bus feels touching because, like you say, that sort of they have looked into his life and are actually saying, like, look, you might be almost like by saying you might be fictional, but you've you've sort of like you know entertained us and you've touched our lives back, like you have meaning as a character. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that sort of all feels sort of like good, and I sort of it, it almost fits in with this idea of the 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 careful what you wish for that we've always said about that seems to fit into this notion of red dwarf. But then to go into this flight of fancy around Blade Runner, I'm just like, no, yeah. I'm done. <laughs> like you know, it's it doesn't fit with that. It's sort of you know, it's a bit silly. It's sort of um, yeah. Um, no, I agree with you completely. And, you know, I mean, there are moments even in that. I, I mean, obviously, you know, if you say to the cast, all right, we're going to get back together. We're going to, we're going to, you know, mount a, a new Red Dwarf and we're going to reenact huge sequences from Blade Runner. <laughs> you know? yeah. You're going to be like, this sounds awesome. I am there. Mm. Uh, you know, you're going to get to fall through mirrors, uh, you know, through windows, uh, glasses, you're shot over and over. You know, you're going to run through the Japanese streets, you know. I mean, that sounds fun. That sounds like a great thing. Um, and, and But there are these moments that are good, too. I mean, you know, yeah, the typewriter doesn't really make sense. But, you know, I have to say that uh, it's kind of fun watching. And it doesn't make sense. It falls apart on its own basis because it's like he's not type he realizes he's not typing everything but he wasn't Mm. typing everything to begin with 
But then there are these moments where, you know, for amusement, he makes, uh, you know, Rimmer bashes crotch over and over into the desk yeah. and makes Brighton <laughs> stepping on rakes. And and you have this sort of, you know, I have this moment where I think, my God, that, you know, the cruelty is coming out. And mm. it's so cruel that it's almost, you know, out of character for Lister. But I like that the show has always been willing to go to this sort of like mm. uh, cruel place and make those characters despicable. Um, so, I mean, there are these moments and I, and I think, you know, I think you're right that basically all of the metafiction stuff works well, uh, you know, or well enough and, and can be touching. And I think at the end, you know, you alluded to how it's a, it's a joy squid, right? It's a, it's a female mm -hmm. despair squid. And, uh, you know, basically, um, you know, Cat was responsible. Cat brought it, you know, <laughs> from the despair squid planet because he said, I'm going to eat you little fishy. Um, <laughs> you know, and that's fun. And then it ends with this wonderful idea, which I think if you're going to do the metafiction, this wonderful idea that like, oh, isn't it sad? Those people in that other reality still think they're living in reality, but they, yeah. you know. And, and, and it's a little bit absurd that, like, you know, quantum physics dictates that every hallucination is real somewhere. Okay, you're straining it a little bit. But I, I quite love the idea that they're not the subservient reality to ours. Ours mm. is to them. I, I, I love that stuff. But then, yes, as you say, it doesn't make sense because it's not our reality. It's a reality that has Red Dwarf 10 and, and has a ziggurat, you know, there's the Tyrell yeah. building. So I, that's very strange. Yeah, I, know. I, mean, it, I do like that notion um, where, because Lister says, like, well, what about those people that we met? Um, and, and Crichton gives you some sort of gobbledygook and says, well, you know, basically, because we've all, ex we experienced and that we, we sort of brought that reality into existence and it will continue to exist. And um, that's when Lister sort of says, oh, how sad is it that, that you know, they think... Um, you know how how so they, they think they're real, but we sort of created them, sort of thing that we're the main reality. And I, I, I agree, I do like that because I also like that notion. Though I, I like the idea, like I say, it's, it's straining credulity a little bit, but that then sort of puts me back into the idea of um, back to reality. You know, the series sort of mm -hmm. five episode, and actually, right. when, so when they did come out of the computer and they did meet the guy, you know, um, uh, the what's it spool uh character you know your your twonk um <laughs> that reality exists somewhere so there is now a reality if that's the case where they have created this joint reality where red dwarf is a computer game and people do sort of like you know immerse <laughs> themselves in it and that sort of thing and i think that's quite cool so i, I do again i like the ideas um I, I just think this whole sort of um this could have been something really special if they'd have kept it grounded. Mm -hmm. Um, I, 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 you know, I mean, like, you know, you've done. The, I mean, the thing you miss out on is if you you meet Craig Charles. You know, I think you know. Well, what about Robert Llewellyn? Seeing, you know, we've seen him obviously right. in a former episode of DNA. But all right, let Crichton meet Robert Llewellyn. You know, met. <laughs> um, you know, and all this other sort of some of these other ideas. Like, I think it would be. There, there were things that could have been done with this that, that opportunities missed, I think, in, in, in many ways, because they wanted to sort of throw this this Blade Runner sort of sci-fi stuff in. Yeah. Um, when I think one of the things we've, we've sort of hit on is that 
whilst Red Dwarf is a sci-fi show, no doubt, you know, <laughs> through and through, the reason we love it is, whilst it is sci-fi, because the characters are just who they are, like you said, because they've been willing to do things with them. But this seems to want to do more sci-fi than, than character stuff at times, and I think that's sort of to its detriment. Yeah, I I would not put it that way. I mean, I like the sci-fi stuff. I'm, and I mm. think that, you know, I mean, to me, Lister mourning for Kachansky, you know, I mean, that is that has no place in Red Dwarf. Um, mm. That is too serious. That is just played dead on. There's no laugh for a solid minute there. You feel the weight of that in a way that you have not felt the weight of an entire crew being killed. Yeah. You know, that seems a little like, oh, this is going to be more comfortable with being a sci-fi drama. I love all the sci-fi elements. I mean, I would say the Red Dwarf, I mean, I would say the the Blade Runner stuff, which I think we're in agreement is essentially the problem. Um, mm. And I agree with you about seeing the other actors. Uh, I've always felt that about this episode. But, you know, the the Blade Runner stuff, I don't think it's sci-fi. I think it's like some mm. kind of like pastiche or homage. It doesn't fit. It doesn't make sense. Um, and, you know, I do think like, you know, at the end you see uh, Lister driving around like the end of the original cut of Blade Runner, which yeah, I was looking forward to talking about this with you because we've talked about Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. Um you know, and again, it's like, okay, it's fun seeing Lister driving around, but you're like, okay, this does not feel like it's reality at all. And at this point, Kachansky has the Rachel haircut and comes through the mist like Rachel. And at this point, you're just like in another universe, right? You are not yes. there's any pretense that this is, uh, that reality is totally gone and yet oddly will be reasserted at the end of the episode. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, the thing is, you know, what it's it's the moment they realise, because um, it takes another bit of a twit, a little bit of a turn. Like they've realised it's a um, a joint hallucination, you know, like a despair squid. And at that point, because the other thing is that throughout the episode, like he's seen a magazine. He's seen, oddly enough, we, we sort of talked about it before coming on, but a, an issue of SFX magazine, um, and it has an interview with Chloe Annette in it. Like it shows, you know, Chloe Annette. Uh, with her family and um you know D- D- dave's sort of like oh yeah she- she's alive in this reality and i'm like yeah she's also not kachansky in this reality like, <laughs> <laughs> like it's not like you can just go bobbing off to sort of wherever she lives and be just like do you recognize me she'll be like well yes i do you're craig charles and he's like no she'll be like i'm dave and you'll be like well i've got my family i've got my kids i don't you know i don't really know what you want <laughs> you're nutter um, right. And then you know, and then for her to sort of say when they acknowledge it's a despair squid or joy squid, I should say, it then decides to, to sort of fulfil his fantasy and brings back right. Kachansky in this Rachel image, um, and sort of like so he he decides to stay um, and die, you know, in in, the, in his reality and stay and sort of spend some time with this. And again, it's that I like the idea a bit like with the the end of, of Blade Runner, you know, this idea of like, I don't mean, you know, they don't know how long they've got or what, you know, how long she's got. Mm-hmm. Um, in this case, don't know how long Lister's got, like how long will it take him to die? But again, it sort of feels a bit like, 
I don't know. It's it's cheap is the wrong word, but it, it just feels a bit um, forced. Yeah, probably. Well, easy um, too. You know. Yeah. Like this is our reality. Yet now, you know, we're manufacturing another Kachansky. Um, yeah, and then the the her is Rachel. I mean, that's really a point where I kind of emotionally have have completely checked out by that point mm. i mean again it's fun to see right i mean i don't know how you knock too badly uh, something that is riffing on blade runner this closely but mm. i mean it doesn't belong in the same episode you know it's like that's a different red dwarf episode which i would like um just not this yeah. one it's just not reality uh, the other thing i find bizarre about this whole thing and i know it's about you know, all four of them, you know, are being fictional and wanting more life and, you know, like Roy Batty and his crew. Yeah. The point of, 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 you know, the replicants is that they are replicants. They are sort of, you know, biological creations. Well, the only one that's a synthetic human or a synthetic real being in um, the Red Dwarf crew is Crichton. And again, like that's never hit on. Like, at, you know, at no point do they sort of say, Anything about him being almost like a replicant of, you know, he's the droid, he's the synthetic. Um, and so it's almost like, you know, yeah, we've got it for this idea, but we're not going to, don't think about this bit or these other right. things. Like, um, yeah, that's not know, important to, to any of the uh, riffs at all. The mm. idea of, I mean, you're right. I, 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 th- I watch that scene and I think it's okay. I get it. It's clever that you want more life, right? You know? And, and I think it plays with the idea that Red Dwarf might not come back. I think in a way mm. that is interesting, if not emotionally satisfying. But you're right. I mean, the idea that this is about replicants or artificial life forms or or any of the original context of Blade Runner, or indeed anything that it had to say, is not important mm-hmm. here. What's important is sort of aping the visuals and, you know, sort of scenes right it's not about yeah. any of the meaning no um and so yeah it's it it it, it starts out really well and then it's let's it, say throughout the three episodes it sort of stumbles about halfway and then it, it yeah it, it doesn't succeed at landing really mm-hmm. um and i didn't realize until later like you know, if there is a narrative arc to this, uh, you know, a character arc uh, to this three-parter, it's uh, Dave Lister sort of, um, you know, depressed and, and whatever and, and winding up really because of those kids on the bus realizing, you know, I'm not that bad. I can kind mm. of, you know, it's another one of these stories. We've seen this before with Rimmer where it's like, oh, I can be a hero, right? So he rejects the false reality. I mean, it's, it, it also seems a little easy that he accepts the, the fake Achansky. And then in the next scene with them, he's like, no, this was a mistake. Um, you know, he rethinks it just to get that scene, right? Mm. But, you know, he rethinks it. And then he rejoins, you know, the crew. And then never again does he mention Kachansky. <laughs> yeah. You're supposed to, I mean, if you've had this whole character arc where you've realized you can be a hero and damn it, you're going to find the real Kachansky and she will accept you because damn it, you are good enough. 
And then you go back to reality and it's like, oh, those poor kids who think they're in reality never again mentioned. That's yeah. uh, an error. I, I agree. It's, yeah. Um, and again, like I say, you know, it's when we get to season 10 and 11 in a minute, um, this, this again, sort of like back to earth, almost feels like a like a side story. I mean, it's almost like, oh, we know it exists, um, but we, we're not going to acknowledge it. We don't really want you to think about it because we're sort of back to the status quo of the sitcom now. Um, so we're not going to follow up anything from it. We're just back to being sort of trying to be funny. Um, and I think that is sad. I do think that's a, it's a shame because um, it does come up. I mean, in, you know, in I think in season 10 and, and that sort of, they mention it every now and then. They're a bit like, oh, better drop it in. Uh, yeah, we've got to get back on to sort of chase up, you know, find Kachansky. But right. it's, 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 it's meaningless. It doesn't really mean anything. Yeah, they're not um, doing they're, anything. <laughs> no, they don't seem to be actively doing it to look for her. Like, they seem to be aimlessly wandering through space. Um, so, yeah. Um, in, in, yeah. Um, overall, like I said, what's, what are your you know, final thoughts? Then? Final thoughts on Back to Earth. Um, well, I mean, I think I think you're right that it, it starts well and it goes off the rails. But I mean, even in that third episode, there there's stuff that's very clever. There's stuff that I mean, even in those homages. Okay, if nothing else, as an asterisk to Blade Runner, I mean, that's not what you want your show to be. But you know, that, I mean, that's something. I, I think the metafictional stuff at the end is good. Yeah, it doesn't work, but. It's not uh, it's not painful to watch in the, I mean I feel checked out but it's not as painful to watch as some of the stuff in you know series seven um, mm. and uh, you know I mean there certainly is a lot of stuff that's very tight and very good and I think you know like you said like you know it's sort of like this side story the main thing is Red Dwarf is back those characters are back you can do this you can have a uh, bigger budget. Um, and I think that really the show continues very much in that sort of vein, at least for me. Yeah. I, I, I agree with some of that. Yeah. Um, it has flashes of brilliance. It has that sort of thing back. Um, you know, it just sort of maybe sort of overstretches some of the ideas, but I am glad to have it back. Like no doubt. Like, you know, I, I have gone back and watched this, um, you know, it's not like I don't um, ignore it or sort of lambast it. I don't think it's as bad as I think some people think it is, but I, I do think it's sort of you know, it's a, there were some missed opportunities there, which I think was a shame. Um, Well, ladies, and there you go. Back to Earth and back to Red Dwarf. The boys are back and they're back on the dwarf. But is it any good? Well, as I say, this is now the BBC years are done. We are going to go full depth into the Dave years in the next episode. We've got 10, 11, 12 and the promised land. So does it stand up to what's come before? We'll check out and we'll see you on the next episode. (laughs) 